0: And we're back with an all-new episode of Keep It. Morning. I'm Ira Madison III. I'm Louis Boutel.
1: I'm Maida Osman. I'm sorry for interrupting both of you guys' introductions. I am going to say, you're like Mystery Science Theater <laughs> 3000,
2: piping <laughs> in with your jokes.
1: <laughs> uh,
2: I want to apologize to people, by the way, if I sound echoey this episode. I'm in my new place. I haven't figured it out yet. I'm doing my best. I'm in tears, etc. I haven't even combed my hair. I look like a 34-year-old ragamuffin. <laughs>
1: Louis is in a cave. Aida is
0: recording on the floor next to her front door.
1: Yeah, it looks like I'm in a tenement. <laughs> you have to be very careful. My <laughs> you also hobble. just moved. We all did. It's so nice.
0: I want a chair. I didn't just move. I'm in a hotel right now.
1: Oh, yeah. And it's what time for you then?
0: It's afternoon, baby. I got my workout in. I had my coffee. I had breakfast. It's an Luxury. advantage. It
1: really, truly is.
2: No, I associate truly. recording Keep It with like being, like I live in a monastery and we do this before the morning prayer, etc.
1: Yeah, and now they want you to have a rave. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to slap myself a couple times before I can have an opinion.
0: Truly, Aida, you missed the very early days of this show where I feel like we used to record at 8 a.m. Oh, God. And all three of us showing up to the studio looking angry. <laughs> And also, and
2: also, by the way, in those days, we had people filming us for different reasons, and so we would mm-hmm. also have to be in, like, chic outfits. I would be wearing a blazer at 7.30 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm Al Roker. Yeah.
0: Last week, I feel like we were a little too nice. Yeah, we were. To whom? Everybody. Oh, that's Our right. list of 150 things that didn't suck. I feel like this week we will be more than making up for it. Yeah, because... I'm
1: ready to cut some bitches. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> I got the
0: whiplash this week of everything becoming awful again. 1,500 things <laughs>
2: that really suck. Yeah.
0: So why don't we go ahead and get into this episode? We're going to talk about the Tony nominations. We're going to talk about Jeffrey Tubin's Zoom. Fiasco. (laughs) We're going to get into the culture we've been consuming this week, and we will also be joined by Gabrielle Union.
2: Queen of Queens. My God, what a keep it get. We've wanted this for years.
0: Yeah.
1: This is going to be the most aggressively Nebraskan episode of podcast history. Easily. Easily. Alexander Payne is going to lose what little is left of his mind. (laughs) The ghost
2: of Johnny Carson showing up.
0: Yeah. All right. We'll be right back with more keepers. And we're back. Before we get into what we've been consuming this week, there's of course the business of the Tony Awards, which are finally happening. Great. How long do they get put off? Uh, They usually happen in June. They
2: are usually the same weekend as Pride in LA, which is very stressful because routinely (laughs) that morning I will be (laughs) at a parade or something, and then in the afternoon I'm at a party, and then you have to... Race home to watch Alan Cumming do his three jokes. And then there's like a concert at night. And I'm like, well, now I have to deal with Carly Rae. So (laughs) Uh,
0: this year, they will be digital. I think that probably after a large amount of award shows going that route, the Tonys were like, hey, we can do that, too, even if we're theater.
2: Right. Anything
0: (laughs) you can do, I can do better, if you will. And uh, the nominations are... There's some fun surprises in there. I will say I'm very happy for Jeremy O'Harris with 12 nominations. Breaking for slave records. Play. Breaking literal that is records. A, that is a record. Yeah, girl.
2: It is like the upshot of a season that was cut short is that everything that was nominated almost with no choice has to break records. Like Jagged Little Pill, you would think, is basically a chorus line based mm-hmm. on the <laughs> amount of nominations it just
0: received. <laughs> 15, but congrats to Diablo. And Alanis.
2: Yes. Uh, especially, I mean, congrats to Diablo. She's our friend. Hooray. Yes to Alanis. I love uh, late-stage Alanis getting some recognition. I, I, I love her albums after a Little Pill almost as much as I love a Little Pill, so I'm, I'm excited for this recognition. And by the way, The Best Book of a Musical, Tony, that to me is one of the most interesting categories because aside from the fact it's three jukebox musicals, which we can talk about the state of musicals right now, another time <laughs> but um but we've got diablo cody for jagged little pill john logan for moulin rouge and then katori hall who came on uh a few weeks ago to talk about p valley on stars who wrote tina the tina turner musical and i really don't know who's going to win that category it's exciting
0: mm-hmm. i absolutely fucking loved tina and i'm so excited for adrian warren's nomination for that all of the moulin rouge nominations um sure <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm just going to say that is truly one of the most horrible shows that I have ever seen on Broadway. I know,
2: I, I concur. Frankly, after I heard the nominations, I listened to a lot of Broadway serious XM radio. I don't want to brag, but Aaron Tveit who is the only best actor in a musical nomination this year, after the nominations <laughs> occurred, I listened to him sing Roxanne. Who the fuck wants to hear Roxanne jazzed up like that? I mean, I don't even like it in Moulin Rouge, the movie. So, to hear it like totally stripped of the like white reggae vibe that we tolerated in the
0: 70s, I don't know. I feel like that's the best part of the movie.
1: Aaron's the only one in the category. Correct. What if he doesn't win? Does he have to actually get.
0: Yeah, he could lose.
1: He could lose. Doesn't he have to get like a percentage of everyone who's voting for the Tonys to. Even get him the award? Like 60%. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Oh, no. (laughs) It's kind of gladiatorial. It's either a thumbs up or a thumbs down from voters. Yeah. I
0: want to know what happens in that occasion. Do you just not present the award? You skip right along by it. Since he's the only one. Or do you say, and the winner is. (laughs) And then it's like when Tyra would hold up no photo. (laughs) 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 The girl who's going home is. Both of you,
1: <laughs> and Aaron has to <laughs> sulk his way home and tweet at his Vader Tots. Is that what his fan base is called? Do you guys know about this?
0: <laughs> T- Vader Tots, <laughs> T- are they?
1: Yes, yes, yes. Oh, it's a, it's a very that's small, disgusting insular group. But no, it's really, really gross. It's really bad. <laughs>
2: Aaron Tveit is the classic Broadway musical actor in that he is every age. If you told me he was. Fifty-four or twenty-one, I would totally believe it. In the way that, like prima ballerinas, you know, are secretly in their sick Like Misty Copeland, I think died forty years ago. You know,
1: <laughs> he also manages to be every nationality of European. Like you, I couldn't peg that man in any way. German features, Scandinavian eyebrows. Don't know.
0: Unfortunately, he's also been in two of the absolute worst Broadway musicals I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> One was Moulin Rouge, uh, which I definitely should not have gone to sea with our friend Matt Whitaker after we were out at a party until 4 a.m.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah, I know how you operate. <laughs> the
0: next day, hungover. Um and the other one was he was in the musical version of Catch Me If You Can. Oh. Which which I left during intermission.
2: Was <laughs> what was he the what's that cat character's name? Um I can't believe I can't think of it. He was on To Tell the Truth once. What's uh, was he was he the main guy? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Such great outfits in the movie, though. And the last time I enjoyed Christopher Walken, who's in... Wait, Christopher Walken is in Catch Me If You Can, right?
0: Yeah, I believe so. Everyone in the musical looked like they were in the ABC show Pan Am.
2: <laughs> ah, yes. And that and
0: that just seemed to be the entire um, concept for the show.
2: I do love that shade of blue, though. The same blue as what Britney wears in the Toxic video, for those of you who are under-initiated. <laughs> yes.
0: The same song that Karen Olivo sings in Moulin Rouge. mm Right, right, right. Because the songs in Moulin Rouge the musical aren't even the songs from the movie. They update it with newer songs. Like, you have her singing Firework.
2: I have to tell you, ever since that Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt episode where they complain about how the word Firework doesn't make sense on its own, the phrase is Fireworks, I cannot even listen to that song.
0: I'm like, you're wrong, Katie. Get a dictionary. (laughs) 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 Of course, these nominations come on the heels of forty. Black playwrights um, issuing a screed to the theater industry, basically um, calling out racism in Mm -hmm. the theater, and I mean, it makes sense. There's not really a lot of diversity going on here. It's except for Slay Play and Tina,
2: right? Well, also, it almost makes sense to me that of all the forms of entertainment beyond movies and TV it almost makes sense to me that Broadway would be perhaps the most racist because there's the most gatekeeping going on. Like, only a certain amount of spaces exist. Only a certain amount of plays get produced. Like, there's layers upon layers, you know, that add up that if you're going to insert racism anywhere, it's going to be in one of those places.
0: And in conjunction with that, one of the people who was involved in this uh, statement was Rada Blake, who, you know, just had this... Um, film the 40-year-old version um, which debuted on Netflix recently and it's about her struggles with being a black playwright uh, and you know trying to navigate her way through this gatekeeping you know and try to tell authentic stories that didn't feel like she was being a sellout and um, that really seems like you know so much of a problem because unlike film unlike television you are catering to an audience of rich white people basically right Mm -hmm. Uh, and white producers and even if you're a black person making black content you better be making something black that will appeal to white people um on the upper west and upper east side right
2: i mean if you're making an all-black ensemble musical or play or whatever and one of the main objectives ends up having to be but the white audience has to feel good. I mean, you're already compromising not just division, but like any reason anybody would want to make something. So, I mean, it's just, you know, uh, and, and that was so evident in some of the testimonials we read there. For instance, Lynn Nottage, who's won two Pulitzers, she was one of the people who gave really excellent and startling and incisive feedback.
1: Also, what a shame to imply that white people can only muster being empathetic if they see their faces in the art that they're admiring or watching. Like, that's that's a frustrating thing. And that actually plays out in a scene in the movie in 40-Year-Old Version, which is an interesting watch.
0: It's basically autobiographical. She's playing herself, and she's writing a play about gentrification in harlem and the white producer is like well we need to see that from the white people's side too
1: (laughs) who is doing the gentrifying we'd
0: love to see it and then it ends basically you know with like the white woman and the black woman having to come to an understanding we're all in this together because it's the corporations who are buying out the coffee shops and things were part of the problem, not the white people who were living there.
1: (laughs) We're simply (laughs) angels.
0: Sorry, I'm tearing up. You guys really inspired me just now. (laughs) Uh, And there's, you know, a lot of other playwrights involved, you know, like Robert O'Hara. He wrote the plays Booty Candy and Barbecue, which I love. He directed Slay Play, actually, and Mm -hmm. he is nominated um, for Best Director. You know, he talks about how in... Portland, like an artistic director tells them, like, I love your work, you know, I just don't have the courage to do it, Wow, you know? And there's this idea that you you love someone's work so much, but you're like, I can't lose money on this investment. Um, and I think that that is why a digital Tony's is, is so interesting to me. And it's so interesting. Uh, I plan to watch two plays later this week, actually, that Jeremy O'Harris is actually producing, um, uh, He's producing a showing of Heroes of the Fourth Turning, which is a Pulitzer um, finalist play from the same year as slay Play last year, except it was off-Broadway. Uh, and it is by Will Arbery. He's also doing uh, this play called Circle Jerk, uh, <laughs> which is um, playing all this week. Uh, and that is like a digital play, basically. You know, it's trying to do theater in the current space time we're living in during a pandemic you know and it is um i hope things like this are successful you know i mean Mm i spent the beginning of the pandemic watching um Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals yeah. uh, that we're streaming each week. When they uh, were throwing
1: um, them in our face. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, they were they were doing one each week. And, you know, I watched, like, Phantom of the Opera. I even watched that abysmal show, Love Never Dies, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which has one good song till I hear you sing in it. And, you know, I just think that, like, embracing the future is the only way that we're going to be able to break through that theater gatekeeping you know
2: totally but also by the way I just want to say we were talking about the nominations earlier I mean savor what theater you get digitally because for instance we're going to have the Tonys this year but we will definitely not have them next year so we're about to be going through a real dearth in this kind of entertainment so we've got Mm -hmm. to find new and innovative ways of not just producing it but snatching it up keeping it in. you know Uh, sharing it with people who are going to give a shit.
0: And also what a pleasure it is to get to see some like actual digital theater instead of like whatever um, Ivo Van Hove does whenever (laughs) he does a production. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I didn't get to see the newer West Side Story, but I know that it has like stuff projected like onto the wall behind the actors. I don't know how that works in West Side Story, but I do know that it was awful. In his production of All About Eve that I saw in the West End.
2: Oh wait, you saw that one with um, uh, Gillian Anderson and, and Lily uh, James, correct? And with the music of P.J. Harvey, who's one of my patron saints. Was that not good?
0: Oh, it was awful.
2: I can't believe we've never discussed that. That's like—I mean—that truly is like. Every chakra in my body is in that. All all about Eve, Jillian Anderson, PJ Harvey. (laughs) I
0: I also felt gaslit watching it because the entire time I kept thinking, wait, was All About Eve a play? And it wasn't. And then I was like, oh no, it was adapted from a movie into a play. I was like, I knew that, but somehow I was tricked into thinking that because when you see a play of something that was, you know, not a musical, um, you think that, oh, it was originally a play or something. You think it was adaptive.
2: And also, it kind of feels like it could have been a play. It's not like chock full of locations or anything. You know? yeah.
0: Unfortunately, it cannot be a play. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Damn it, Jill- still love Jillian. Yeah. She's great on sex education. I've only I have love her. Episodes, you know? Those three episodes are great. And
0: Lily yeah. James is great in those um, paparazzi photos with Dominic West.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I was like, this can't be a
0: compliment coming up. Okay. <laughs> I like Mamma Mia sure yeah okay now that i'm done uh, <laughs> attacking beloved white actors <laughs> uh what else have we been consuming this week
1: well, i don't know if you guys saw this but i feel like we can collectively make fun of it the let me love you like a woman music video that lana del Rey dropped on the internet where she's making love to her steering wheel <laughs> I don't know if you guys have seen this, but it is an interesting music video where she's... I mean, everyone is struggling to figure out how to make quarantine art pop right now, and she has taken, like, parsed together little clips of her on road trips and, you know, just on tour with her with her friends and family, but there's particularly, like, there's weird B-roll of her singing, like, romantically into the camera while she hugs and kind of kisses on her steering wheel, and if anybody wants a laugh and doesn't know, quite know what's happening with Lana Del Rey, which, who, do, who does? Uh, that That's interesting. That's an interesting thing to watch. You know what I am
2: still sore with her about? Okay, so I forgive her for the... Cla- Lapping back at the critics who she disagreed with or whatever, except for the fact that she said something along the lines of, "I don't have a persona. I've never needed one. One, you are so almost nothing but a persona." And I say that affectionately. I love persona. <laughs> mm-hmm. We all have one, you know. <laughs> And and it should be embraced, but that was such a fascinating reveal about what she thought she was. And it like it, it trips me up. It was it was so I don't want to say delusional, but it was so bitter and annoying. It's always tainted her a little bit for me.
0: Maybe she like was playing the part of Lana Del Rey and then actually Became Lana Del Rey. <laughs> like she's yeah. trapped in Lana Del Rey and now she thinks there is no persona.
2: Well, that's interesting that you say that because <laughs> Do you know what I finally watched over the weekend is the, uh, I think it's 2019 officially now, the Dolly Parton documentary that's on mm. Netflix, which uh-huh. has some good talking heads from um, our girl Jane Fonda's in it, Kylie, Kylie Minogue, Minogue is in yeah. it. Yes, but Lily Tomlin gives interviews in it where she's like, I don't want to say cutting into Dolly Parton, she's clearly friends with her, but Really insightful things about her, like she says, like I don't really know anything about her. It's so like she doesn't give anything <laughs> up, uh, and she goes, I've never seen her without a wig. And there's somebody else. Oh, I think Linda Perry from Four non Blondes. Who, famous mm-hmm. top hat wear her. You might mistake her for the lead singer from Jamiroquai sometimes. Um, Famous writer
0: of Pink songs. Yes,
2: and and Christian Aguilera songs, yes. Yes. Um, She goes, I think there are two different dollies, and like they're in conversation all the time. Lana Del Rey seems like a sort of similar situation, though maybe she is in Mm. denial about it.
1: Well, she's literally operating under a pseudonym. You're using a name. How can you not acknowledge it's a persona? Right. (laughs) Good point. Girl.
0: That reminds me of how, obviously, Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda are friends, but do you remember like Lily's talking head? from Jane's documentary, too. Oh, yeah, right. She is truly just the the most insightful slash shadiest talking head that you could get. Right.
2: No, she's... I mean, like, when you're, like, a no-nonsense lesbian who's been in a relationship 30 years, I mean, like, I think you're pretty clear what you don't have time for, and that's not cutting to the quick. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I would recommend, if you have any free time, to just watch YouTube videos of Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin interacting. They have the most... The most endearing but like biting relationship and it's it's fun. It's a fun time.
0: <laughs> mm. This week I um finally dove into the Amazon show The Boys. Ooh Still haven't seen Meaning to start. Well, first of all, two seasons have aired and I don't know how I really like missed this show, but I feel like I'm a gossip girl fan. I knew Chase Crawford was in it, and I was like, well, I don't need to see him quote unquote act. <laughs> and so that's how I avoided it. And it was like, I was like, oh, it's an Amazon show about like superheroes, whatever. Cause I had never really read the Garth Ennis comic that it was based on, even though, you know, like I was a fan of Preacher and stuff. But first of all, he's fantastic in it. Mm. Uh, I don't know where this acting came from. Uh, it's sort of like the same way that Penn Badgley. Had such an amazing turn in you mm-hmm. that um, Chase Crawford does the same thing, um, and basically the conceit of the boys is that like superheroes are real, but they're managed by like Vought, like a company that's basically like CAA or something, you know? And so, like, they manage their image, um, and there's a group called The Seven, which are the most famous superheroes, and, you know, they get the endorsement deals, and they're in movies, they act in them themselves, you know? And it's like, um, basically, the boys are this group of people who are trying to take down Vaught in the superheroes, because the superheroes sort of, like, behave um, with impunity uh, Mm -hmm. all the time. Like, it starts with... um, Jack Quaid is the lead of the show, by the way, who <laughs> it took me forever to realize that this boy is not British doing a bad American accent because Simon Pegg plays his father oh, weird. in the show. And and he looks British. and But now I realize, oh, you just look like a mix of Meg Ryan and Dennis Quaid. <laughs> um, but uh, his girlfriend gets run through by a train, like who's like the speedster of the seven. You know, and like they basically like sweep it under the rug and everything. And this becomes like superheroes are bad and need to be brought down. Um, And there's some fantastic, amazing performances in it. And Chase Crawford plays like a superhero who sexually assaults one of the other ones and then is fired from the group. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of about him like trying to like fix his image and like get back into the group and then not really. And it's like, it's sort of one of the most honest depictions of like a quote-unquote famous person who does something awful like that and how they would try to worm their way back into society and back into you know their endorsement deals and things and not being able to do it and finding religion and things and i just think that it's a it's a really good show it's very funny it's good when it's satirical it's Mm -hmm. not good when it tries to be serious. (laughs)
1: Does it paint Chase Crawford's character as a villain or is he actually someone that we feel for?
0: Both. Mm. I'm excited to have an opinion about him.
2: I mean, frankly, he's somebody who you just, was like a celebrity you'd see walking down the street on like PerezHilton.com once upon a time Yeah, and that was as far as any thoughts I had about him go. I love when we take somebody like that and then they get to do something unusual and proves that like you know how Robert Pattinson sort of gotten 25 times to do it and to be fair he has done it I like when that's <laughs> spread around <laughs>
1: yeah. I feel like uh, good times was the final nail in the coffin for me but yeah, yeah. I, I this the, I was very excited to start watching the show it does remind me a lot of the anime my hero academia which if you guys aren't familiar mm. is like remember when Meg the stallion did her half white half red wig she was doing Todoroki from my hero academia and my hero academia has the same premise that you know there there's a training school I mean it's like like the younger version it's like the rugrats to the grown-ups if the grown-ups is the boys and um mm. so the these kids have to train in these in these institutions and they get sponsored and it is like you said like a wme or a caa and they get and they get all these different sponsorships i'm i'm excited to see where the parallels are
0: yeah i think you'll like it i mean i truly love when one people from teen shows you know get sort of like a second act yeah i love when people are known for like two very good roles uh it shows that they can sort of do something and i would recommend that people watch also the um actors roundtable where pen badgley and chase crawford sort of interview each other Mm. Because like it gave me new insight into like chase as a human being um really enjoy the show though you know i would say one downside of it is that this the second season dives so well into like um internet culture and, like, right-wing, like, conservative, like, 4chan kind of shit. Oh, wow. Um, and in such a good, searing way. But they do need some more writers of color on the show. <laughs>
1: because <laughs> <'cause> <laughs> the, the
0: black character stuff is just goofy. Yeah. <laughs> the boys. <laughs> but otherwise, very funny show. Enjoy also,
1: it. you know what that means? Ed Westwick, you better figure out what you're doing because these boys are running amuck. <laughs> well, wasn't
0: he accused of rape?
1: What?
2: Right. Uh, He's one of those yeah. people that oh. went away for, yeah. He also yeah. I believe Bye. I believe Bye, um, by the, I believe among British men and this is a, a serious feat. He has the worst tattoos I have ever seen because all they like doing is getting <laughs> shitty tattoos over there. So.
0: <laughs> I know I've seen Love Island. <laughs> yeah, right. By the way,
2: I, I sorry, have we talked about Emily in Paris yet?
0: I mean, it I was it was my keep it, but oh, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched I, it.
2: I yeah, I will just touch on it really quickly. It's a show that, I just want to say, it is remarkable how the episode slipped by, regardless of what you think about it. And I believe it can drive Mm. you to homicide, so it's really shocking. (laughs) But what's weird to me about Emily in Paris, that what no one is saying is, her performance is so strange, Lily Collins and Mm. I've diagnosed it, it's like she's in the opening credits of Sex in the City. It's not even like she's Mm. on the show. It's like she's walking through a montage is her whole take on the character. And in order for you to root for her, the villains have to be so grotesquely mean and or stupid in order for it to work now I'm sympathetic to those characters for that reason, but I honestly thought the weird thing no one was talking about is how the female villain is joylessly cruel. That's to me the problem.
0: <laughs> I started to love Sylvie by the end of the series, though, uh, Okay, I'm like, I'm 3M. this is just a French. <laughs> I'm just like, this is a French woman who just wants to have sex all the time and like smoke and like love sexual harassment because that is what the French do, you know. Uh, <laughs> and, and you're right, Lily Collins is just you know like plucking her way through the show, (laughs) conflict-free, stumbling into Mayhap's
1: um. Louis I'm surprised you watched it I really am because I feel like after this onslaught of the, a literal barrage of this show fucking sucks for you to go and watch it did you I mean in any enjoyment at all anything that you could well I guess
2: in all honesty I would have to say I did look at it and continued to look at it so I guess some sort of endorphin was sparked in me I'm sorry to say
0: <laughs> it's truly a show that had to be dropped on Netflix I could not, like Younger, which is actually good, uh, I could not conceivably watch Emily in Paris week to week. The fact Mm, that it's just there and you can press play and it keeps going and the episodes themselves don't even really conclude (laughs) – like they just sort of like the credits roll, and then all of a sudden you're in a new episode.
2: Right. Uh, well, it's like think of that new campaign where Ryan Murphy is bragging about how 48 million people at least tuned in to Ratchet, and I feel mm. like that show is the same way. They just make it so appealing and aesthetic that you sort of leave it on. Like I, I want to, I want, yeah. I, I want to learn more about the science of leaving on TV, which I feel mm-hmm. like Netflix has tapped into.
1: The absent watch. Yes.
0: (laughs) I'll leave us with a positive thing about Lily Collins. Uh, Do you remember the coffee bean from What's Hollywood? Um, (laughs) R.I.P. The one next to Jim Barr, also Mm -hmm. R.I.P. She used to come in every winter to get the um, Winter Dream um, tea latte. And she was always very pleasant.
1: How you just put her drink order out like that? Very
0: pleasant, <laughs> unlike Michelle Trachtenberg. Oh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Lily in L.A. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. When we're back, we'll be joined by Gabrielle Union. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams robe. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. We are very excited to have Gabrielle Union on the show. You have been a guest we've wanted on the show for our past 150 episodes. (gasps) And now you're on 151. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome. Uh, Yes, not just an amazing actress, but not even a businesswoman. You are a businesswoman. Oh, that sounds better than the way
4: I say it. But yeah, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> i'm gonna let aida start this off because aida has been telling us constantly that she is so excited to have a nebraskan on the show that's
1: it no this episode is going to be so nebraskan it's going to be like tom osborne <laughs> eating a runza at a, the henry dorley zoo like that's <laughs> it <laughs> <laughs> tribe. It's, I know, know what I know I'm talking
4: about right now
1: and why I'm so only excited. two people are gonna be Wait. so happy about that joke when Gabrielle Union comes back to Nebraska, don't let her come back because it's in the news cycle she could come in October and it's still in the news cycle like New year's like just it's, it's such a big deal when Gabrielle comes back. I've been to one college football game and it was to watch Gabrielle watch football. That's my sport what? like that was yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, (laughs) not a football fan, but I am a fan of you and your husband. So,
4: (laughs) oh my God. Wait, so you, so you went to Nebraska, University of Nebraska
1: Mm -hmm. and did not Mm -hmm. go to any games. No. I only went to one. How? Do you know how difficult it is to escape that culture? I was living under a rock. <laughs> okay, so now I need to know what dorm you were in. I wasn't in a dorm. I wasn't in a dorm. Oh, because you, you're, you're from Lincoln. I'm from Lincoln. Yeah, I stayed. That's probably why. I was like off campus and reading a lot and was like, no, no college football. But you know, I went to all the tailgates, if that makes you feel any better. Okay, so we, <laughs> we do the
4: tailgate with, through uh, this this crew called The Varsity, and we're under mm-hmm. the freeway.
1: Yep, I know exactly. And we do shot skis and like Flip Cup.
4: We are the the uh, night to 2019 Flip Cup champions. Uh, oh, wow. We have those photos also in our house next to uh, Dwayne's uh, NBA championships because it meant that much to us.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Athletes, yes. <laughs>
4: all kinds of athletics we excel at over here
1: (laughs) sorry that we're going off about football even though i'm not a part of it i can recognize that nebraska fans are just wild like the sea of red we have one of the largest fan bases in the world i will easily say so it's just and it's a very intense experience that's why we are so excited dear listeners
4: no, it's a it's a whole thing. I will follow someone on the freeway with a Nebraska plate just to pull alongside them to go, "Go Big Red!" And they're always <laughs> equally as excited no matter no matter what. They have a
0: gun rack in the back. It like it doesn't matter. They'll be like, "Yeah! I'm still you know, problematic, but yeah." <laughs> uh speaking of uh you and Dwayne, I feel like y'all have had in the midst of 2020 being a mess, Uh, y'all have at least had a great year for, you know, just like being visible and being like great examples of one, parents, uh, and two, just like black people who are um, famous but not going crazy. (laughs) <laughs> um, like, we lately <laughs> Yes <laughs> at, at least not being like we're rich and we want to support Trump. um so you know, not not going that route. I just want to know like how it is to stay like grounded and also to just like put yourselves out there uh, like you just were on the cover of time too, you know, like put yourselves out there as like parents who are now being seen as just like, an example of how to parent, you know, um, especially with your, you know, embracing Zaya, um, and then just having that embracement of the LGBTQ community for you two as parents.
4: Yeah, It's always bizarre to be acknowledged for doing like the bare ass minimum, which is like loving your kids exactly as they are. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's always a little, odd. Um, but when you realize that there's a lot of parents who just don't, who like believe that their children are disposable or inherently unlovable, you know, we understand the the, the role that we have and the platform that we have and loving out loud and unapologetically Black and loving out loud. And um, I'm speaking up about <laughs> all kinds of things. I would hope that I'm not alone in this. Uh, a lot of people do it. I just don't think people t- take as much glee to battle the fuckery that we do. So maybe that's, maybe that's the difference. <laughs> like I just, it, it fuckery gives me the, like the hives. I can't, <laughs> I can't sit in the fuck shit. I can't do it. Not anymore. Cause I did it. I, I'm not going to say I didn't mm-hmm. do it. I, I sat in it. I like dipped my crackers in it. I ate it up. Um, but then there, you get to a point where, I don't know, going along to get along doesn't work and doesn't feed your soul. And it doesn't allow you to sleep at night. And I don't know, I just don't want any, I don't want to have to deal with anything that affects my joy, my peace or my grace, mine or anybody else's. So I'm going to keep talking my shit. And if it, especially when it helps the greater good and pay, like, it's okay to like pay your fucking taxes when you're a bazillionaire. Um, why are you pressed? Why are you pressed about money that actually helps the people that you're trying to exploit. Um, I, I don't. I don't. I don't exactly understand that. To me, when somebody shows you who they are and their disdain for Black women, that's when I jump mm. off the fandom. When you reject or malign Black women, which a lot of these dudes have, mm-hmm. that are suddenly pro-Trump you lost me law a long time ago. This isn't, this wasn't the straw that broke the camel's back. Like, I, <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Like, um, when you attack the very black woman that leads your cast on your very successful show that I don't know what else we needed to see um, how many more opportunities we needed to give before we got to this shock and awe that we have right now. Um, I don't even know why it takes so long for people to understand the the damage and harm caused when we start with black women um, as your target. Mm-hmm. Like, why do we have to, yeah, why do we have to keep, keep giving people opportunities to harm black women before we're like, what? You're like, bitch, you knew you, <laughs> you just don't <laughs> care about us. <laughs> how, how about you just yeah. say you don't care about black women and, and stop the acting so shocked by more bad behavior.
1: Yeah. I'm cool on that. Other than us being two black women from Nebraska that like that has already been such a connecting point for when I've been following your career since uh, I don't know birth like for a long time and um, oddly these things would happen where I was experiencing something in my life and it would match up with a Gabrielle Union story in the news like what was happening with your work experience at America's Got Talent reminded me that there were no safeguards for black women regardless of what level of career that you were at and and I was experiencing something on a much smaller scale, but in my own work environment at the same time. So as a black woman, like what do you do to protect your energy when you learn those hard truths that like nowhere is safe?
4: For me and the crew, we've had to find our own safe space. And we, before we were calling it safe spaces, it was finding people in the community, sometimes where you least expect it, Uh, doing your own due diligence about who somebody is and not kind of going with what the popular opinion of somebody is and finding those safe spaces and creating them yourself. And it might only be five minutes a day on a group Mm -hmm. chat, um, especially now with COVID, but like we used to have like meetups where we just, we called them long drunken lunches that sometimes turned into even longer drunken dinners um, where we just had a chance to just vomit our emotions and all the, the things that we experienced during the week that we weren't safe enough to talk about openly. Cause you just, you know, those bills needed to be paid. The bank is so weird about wanting their money every month. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you, you needed that, that safe, that safe space and that strong cocktail to, to just vent to, with other people who see you and hear you and aren't going to try to explain away your trauma and, and the harm that you've been experiencing for the most part, safe spaces amongst um, within our community and, and randomly a bomb-ass ally. Mm-hmm.
2: I feel like I have a um, photographic memory for celebrities who give great interviews. And so you mm-hmm. always come to mind, like if it's a video yes. soundbite or I'm reading something, like I can always depend on it. One, usually being funny, but two, like just, like just super thoughtful. And I was thinking a few years ago, you wrote a memoir and you're the exact type of celebrity I always want to write a memoir where I'm like, we only got to hear her speak for five minutes in this interview. Please go off for 300 pages. What was that experience like for you? Did you gain anything from having uh, written a memoir?
4: The process of writing it was exhilarating, and they're very therapeutic. And, but the process of handing over some of your deepest, darkest secrets to the world um, mm. is literally, it really does feel like tossing your baby into a crowd and hoping people catch it um, and don't like abuse your baby. Yeah. For the most part, people were like, Oh my God, look at this baby. This is such a sweet baby. And then some people drop, kick my baby. And you know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, know. so it's, you want people to have a positive takeaway from your words. You know what I mean? I'm a lover of words. I love word games. I love books. I'm special in that way. (laughs) So you want people to appreciate your words, but at the same time, um, I don't know. It's a it's a trust thing with with your readers um, that you hope they see you and get you and maybe understand you and hopefully also provide some community because I I I try to discuss things that have been taboo or you know those oh I couldn't possibly and I'm like yeah I didn't know my pussy from my urethra like. didn't know. Didn't know. Didn't uh, didn't think to go beyond my clitoris. Like, what for? Seemed like all the fun was there. But, like, in writing that, having people, you know, read it and then doing interviews about it, people were like, okay, I thought it was just me not knowing where to put a tampon. Like, it, it sparked, like, larger conversations about sex and, and fertility journeys and aging and dating and marriage and, and all sorts of things. So... Now that I'm writing the follow-up, and uh, my first draft is due in about a month and a half, it's that panic of the purge. Like I've purged even more shit, including chapters that I wasn't quite ready to include in the first uh, book um, Mm. that I thought I've had enough therapy and um, guided meditations to uh, deal with um, giving to the world. I don't know, we'll see. We'll see in the final, when, like by next fall, when you see the finished the finished work what I was strong enough to include because there's nothing I hate more than reading somebody's biography or you know something super personal and then watching their interviews and they're like well I don't read the book well bitch I've, I read the fucking book and now I want to I want to talk more about it <laughs> you're not like, healed enough or cool enough to like talk about you know some of these larger issues that you bring up like what was the point so I want to do more than just titillate with with my words or stories, and I, I want to inspire con- re- real community and uh, real deeper conversation. So hopefully, I'm able to do that with this next one, like
0: the first one. Fuck yes! Speaking of your memoir, uh, we're going to need more wine. There is a segment in it where you talk about being the black girl at school. You know, like when you were younger, like all these all these white. Uh, girls the the chip in the cookie a phrase i know you love mm-hmm. there's a moment where you talk about how y'all used to play days of our lives uh, and you know i watch that show still uh, and now you talked about how it was in the 90s before lexi had even joined as like the um female cop so you always had to play old abe the black um uh, police detective who did you want to play the most?
4: Hope. Are you kidding me? Hope.
0: Okay, you wanted Hope. to play Hope.
4: <laughs> yes, yes. I did not want to be Marlena. Um, <laughs> but I would have. I would have rather been like John Black 2.0 than mm-hmm. a the policeman with no storyline.
0: But No, I wanted to still be. Still has Hope. no storyline, by the way. Th- still no storyline. Still story has line? no storyline. Still no storyline. It's a
4: damn shame. <laughs> it's a damn shame. Uh,
3: no, I wanted, to be,
4: I wanted to be Hope with my bow and yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Princess Gina and everything. I get it.
1: <laughs> I want to be kidnapped by Stefano. <laughs> Give me something. Never, never had me. Speaking, being a chip in the cookie, which I'm stealing now, that's mine now too. Um, there's like, there's, there's something I try to explain to people about being a queer person who grew up in the Midwest. It's such an isolated, deeply lonely, but also really formative experience. And you wrote a children's book for your daughter, Welcome to the Party. Yeah. But I use it and apply it to my own life as if. You know, I'm actually starting these conversations about what different families could look like and how finding a queer community and like a, the concept of a chosen family. Really, like the people that I have invited into my life as a queer person, because sometimes my family, my birth family, doesn't necessarily give me everything I need. So, I want to ask you, what other than you know inviting a wonderful person into your your family, what wanted what inspired you to write that book?
4: Just not seeing a lot about surrogacy. You know what I mean? Children's books about surrogacy or Introducing a family member that did not come through someone's uterus, like the mothers, um, like her, like me. Um, so this idea of a child arriving that is wanted and desired and loved, but just didn't come through, you know, the traditional way. So that was my original, um, you know, uh, inspiration. But then Zai was like, "Oh, is this about me?" And I was like, "Well, you know what? It is. It is about you." Um, as says, you know, like I've come out like three times and each time it's like I'm reborn and I'm introducing myself. And I was like, word. Yep. Fact. <laughs> and then, you know, my mom was like, oh, is this about my kids? And I was like, yep. So my mom at 60, um, being the nice Nebraska Catholic woman that she is, uh, adopted her first child at 60, uh, her second at 61 and her third at uh, 64. And so now my mom has Three kids, two teens, and a preteen. There was nothing about adoption, like of black children, which is super common. You know, maybe not uh, officially adopting black children in our families, but incorporating children from our larger family into our our immediate family. And I was like, "Yep, mom, this book is about them.
3: <laughs> yep,
4: y'all too." My original inspiration just kind of grew. By the time it actually sat on shelves, it was it was about anybody who who arrived at their family through non-traditional ways yeah so because I, I heard a lot about um, chosen families and feeling like you're just arriving to a party as your full self and what that feels like even when it doesn't happen until your 40s or 50s um a lot, actually a lot i i probably heard most from older queer folks who came out much 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 later and um, faced with just a lot of rejection from their birth families and finally found themselves and their community in their chosen families. And, you know, sometimes you write something that has one um, intention and it just grows. So I'm, I'm glad that uh, so many different kinds of people embrace the story and, and the idea of, there's all different ways to family and there's no one way. All of the ways are beautiful and real and valid and worthy of celebration.
2: When I look over your filmography, something that is so exciting to me is you have so many, even early in your career, movies that were beloved at the time that only gain in legacy as the years go on. Like bring it on and love and basketball these are these will never go away. These are like part of our lives forever and ever. And I was just wondering, what are your like favorite ways in which these movies that are now twenty years old, live on in your life?
4: Well, I mean, some of them are just friendships, you know? So like Deliver Us From Eva, I did that with my best friends and they've stayed my best friends, you know, for the last 20 some odd years. Love and Basketball, shot that with, you know, strangers and who then became, you know, very, very close, close friends. But Bring It On, the best way that, that I see Bring It On celebrated every year, never gets old, always exciting, is Halloween, this time of year where the Clover costumes are in full effect and everyone tags me and I, every time, every post gets me so excited. You know, we, in the original, you know, script and then and what we actually shot, we're in it like a third of the film. But what, <laughs> but what actually happened was when they started um, showing, bringing on to test audiences, the reaction was we need more of the Clovers. Uh, but by that time it was too late because we'd already finished the movie. So we shot additional footage for the trailer that was not in mm-hmm. the the movie to um, fool people into thinking that we were in it like 50-50. Like it was actually... Really so that's what happened.
0: Yeah. <laughs> now listen, I have told you that is like truly maybe my favorite movie. It's the one I watched the most. I even hosted that screening of it in Toronto last year. I have constantly watched that trailer and been like, did they cut the clovers from this movie. There's scenes with you like kissing like a boy by a locker. There's other scenes where it's like, oh, they are just hanging out at school. I was like, where are the scenes <laughs> in the trailer? <laughs> it was a scam. <laughs> <Yeah>.
4: <laughs> no, we no, we ran a full scam. Um, yeah, so it's so it, 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 it's it's rewarding for me for people to to have left that the the experience of the movie with us on their minds because that really wasn't the original intention Mm. but it's you know so it's nice it's nice that people were like no i still see you you are you know you and the clovers and and your plight is it was still central to my viewing enjoyment Mm -hmm.
0: maybe one of my favorite scenes of you in a movie actually is um in um two can play at that game (laughs) it is your entrance um to big timers playing as you're pulling the long ponytail that is an iconic look in black history Uh, this moment in black hair history yes that power that
4: power pony with the red suit Mm -hmm. also
1: I would like to to add your appearance in Busta Rhymes I Love My Bitch music video (laughs)
4: yes (laughs) we can't
1: forget I wanted to be a video host so badly
4: for so many years (laughs) but I was never chosen until I kind of already started making it Uh, bittersweet but um, I'm still holding
1: out hope that 3T will reunite and I can star in their video there's still time I mean gravity and time don't work on you so that's that's why this shit is pulled back
0: so it's like a snap I have uh, one last question before you go you're known for like your roles your memoir your interviews yes I want to ask you about one unexpected thing that um you have become known like all over social media for now you've surely seen the memes from your oprah interview where you're talking about like your past as like a mean girl before and how you got over it and when you have the quote did you get the job is your house any bigger Did money magically get put Mm -hmm. in your pocket? Mm -hmm. Have you seen that memed to say other things (laughs) on social media before? Oh,
4: to say other things other than what I said?
0: It's it's (laughs) like there's specifically one. I think it was like (laughs) one of like... Did you get the clown shoes? Did you get in the car? <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> or, or like, or one for even like, uh, <laughs> did you get to go in the house? Did you tap for massa? Like, oh, like they cha- it's it. changed. It's changed to say different things um, in so many other memes.
4: You know what? I never actually opened, because I can see them like when people tag me, but I I just assume they're. <laughs> They have. I didn't know that they were changing. The, that's awesome. No, that that makes me almost as happy as Grease Two, um, <laughs> which is what I was hoping that you would talk about, Ira. Uh, I still have not I over my lack of an invitation to the Grease Two party. I don't know if I'll ever get over it because I didn't know there were black people who felt as strongly about Grease Two as I. <laughs>
0: I had a Greece-themed um, birthday party. You were there, Lewis. Oh yes, uh, I was when, a cool writer
2: I, myself. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah, uh,
0: and our mutual friend Kelly Carter came to the party. Uh, we I had a photographer there and everything. And then later, uh, she was like, "Gab was so bad that I didn't tell her about." <laughs>
4: No one to share. I mean, like Greece is my, oh my all-time God. favorite movie of all time. Chacha Cha Di Gregorio, the best dancer at Saint Bernadette's with the worst reputation, is my all-time favorite character of, of life. Um, but Greece, verbatim. literally is verbatim. Like, it's it's a it's it. There's something about Adrian Zmed um, and Lorna Left that gives me bow and Hope vibes. Mm. It, they are relationship goals.
0: Yeah. I just don't think there's enough love that they get. Maybe that's the one that needs to be remade. Not Grease. We need yeah. A, mm. We need a Grease, Grease 2 revival. 2.
4: Grease 2. Like, is it, I mean, who's the, who is, who is the Michelle Pfeiffer? <laughs> like, who do we cast as the Michelle Pfeiffer? Mm.
0: You. You look like you're still in high school. What? <laughs> <laughs> Lewis has there ever you would know this of film history has there truly ever been a remake of just a sequel
2: wow mm. that's really you really worked my brain just now like specifically like a musical sequel which is rare as is no I mean yeah yeah uh, Mama Mia will be going through iterations for uh, until we're all dead so who knows
4: if you really want to know what I want in a guy Well, I'm looking for a dream On <laughs> a mean machine With Helen is eyes This is my audition I want a devil <laughs> in I love I'm I like, I uh, I still fight for who gets to be what season With my sisters You know, for <laughs> be, Oh for my God season.
0: Yes uh-huh. <laughs> The little things The uh-huh. Uh-huh. girls <laughs> 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 Next Grease party, I have uh, you will be there.
4: Ira, I swear to <laughs> fucking god, I will, I will harm you if, you, if I don't get an invite.
2: <laughs> I want the full. Didi Conwigs together. <gasps> yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh,
4: oh, yeah. I mean, and Stalker Channing. I mean, we could bring her back. I think we could lure her out of like semi retirement.
2: Stalker will be off book by like noon. Are you kidding me? <laughs> She's ready. because uh, there was
4: nothing like a whore. Hugging her books to her chest, you know. Oh, there were worse things I could do. I with a boat. Like I mean, it's like if there has ever been like how to shame a girl for a fucking orgasm than um, that. I'm
2: just well. So many about. of us walked through high school thinking in ballads, which Rizzo articulated. You know,
4: I love you guys. I just want to come back every week and talk.
2: <laughs> Nobody is objecting. Do it. Yeah. No one is objecting. <laughs> Come through.
0: Fourth co-host. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you guys, this has
4: been fun. Yeah. Thanks yeah, for coming thank on. Yeah. Thank you for
0: being here so much.
4: Yeah.
0: On Monday, rich and famous lawyer and New Yorker contributor and CNN commentator Jeffrey Tubin, exposed his penis <laughs> on a Zoom call with colleagues leading to Tubin's suspension from one of the nation's most prestigious magazines. And of course, this is entirely unjust, according to some men online.
1: Yeah, what kind of world is it where your dick can't <laughs> fall out in a Zoom call? What kind of world is it? <laughs> Where are we safe?
0: (laughs) Uh, So basically he was on a Zoom call with employees of the magazines and WNYC radio where they were doing a call prepping for the election, um, doing like election night coverage. And all of a sudden, like there's a pause in the call for breakout discussions. And then people see his camera tilted down and his penis is out. When the news was first coming out, like people were like, Oh, was he like going to pee or something? Like, did this accidentally happen? And now it seems that like he had a second video um, screen open and was jerking off.
1: Oh, no. And forgot to turn <laughs> off
0: the video on the work call that he was on. A mess. I just want
2: to say this is like the worst kind of news story because it has the initial appearance of like nutty stupidity. Harmless enough Whatever And then the more You think about it It's like Well did he do it On purpose I mean like Based on what you just said It t- it sounds like he didn't but like, it's so disgusting and so like, it frankly, could be traumatizing <laughs> that like, it's like, it's hard to just talk about it as like, I want to sit here and make tube and Japanese puns with everybody, you know, whatever. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, but it's just, it's like, oh no, it's completely horrifying. There is an article on, I believe it's theweek.com that talks about the myth of the male bumbler. And how like Mm -hmm. people get credit for like bumbling into horrible situations. Like the the, the author draws a really good parallel to how uh, Woody Allen handled his horrible allegations as, and sort of just shrugs them off. You know, I'm a bumbler, etc. Um, mm-hmm. I recommend people read that.
0: Just mister Magooing yourself.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it also didn't help that on Twitter what was trending was just Zoom Dick. And I was like, oh, does Charlie XCX have a new song out? Like, what is going on?
0: <laughs> we are doing this. Madonna's out here with a new album. I truly did not know what was happening for the first um, wave of the story as well. Because <laughs> I, I, I also saw know. Zoom Dick. And I had to look through Twitter Twitter search of Zoom Dick to find out what people were talking about because people were just making Zoom Dick jokes. Yeah. Because at first we didn't know that he was jerking off on the call, you know? Yeah. And of course, this has led to awful, awful takes from men. People, you That's know, redundant. commenting things like, uh, <laughs> Things like not sure someone getting caught doing something almost everyone does should be a national story. You know, our propensity to punish and humiliate people with little regard to proportionality is part of the problem. And this has been the takeaway from this. You know, talking about the male bumbler thing that you brought up, Lewis. The, the idea is that this is something that happens to everybody. And uh, The thing is, <laughs> no one is implying that everyone doesn't masturbate. What we're saying is that everyone does not do it in the middle of work, <laughs> particularly when you are on a Zoom with other people working, you know, like they're, you're not even at an office like fleeing to like some bathroom to jerk off in the middle of your workday. Right. You are at work. On your computer, and I know that with the pandemic, like, the lines have become blurred between, like, what's work and what's home life, right? But you are truly on a call. Not that home life. Yeah, right. (laughs) Right? (laughs) You are truly on a call. Like, even if they couldn't see you, are you getting your rocks off, jerking off while listening to your um, coworkers on a call? The fuck is wrong with you
1: well <laughs> it's, it's, what frustrates me the most about it is his his quote on it is i thought i had muted the zoom video do you not understand how video and audio works you can't mute. A video. look up is the green light on sir yes or no that's your green light if the green light is on it's a red light to masturbate that's all i have to say
2: yeah the green light that that's like that makes it tough for me like, like yeah. it's just out there very obvious while you're looking at your computer there's no way to think about it where it makes any sense. Where, like, you can relatably write away what had occurred. You're right. Like, mm-hmm. it's too close in proximity to, like, the actual workspace in terms of time. Yeah. So, it's just frightening.
1: <laughs> I wonder if people like that are deliberately just trying to self-sabotage. Like, what? It, like, you had to know that this was going to cause problems. And I really refuse to believe that you didn't know you were, being, you were not being perceived. <laughs> like, I, I, I just don't. Jeffrey Toobin.
0: One of the things that is most interesting about the call is the fact that um, the election simulation that was going on during this call featured Jane Mayer, uh, Masha Gessen, and Dexter Filkins. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are like famous like people on this call, yeah. right? Like heavy hitters in New York media. Um, it makes you wonder if this had just happened with like subordinates at work. If we would have even found out about it, you know, mm-hmm. and the, the fact that he did this and then Jane Mayer's on the call. Um, <laughs> that's why people know about it, you know, Yeah. like you think if like he had done it and it was just like assistants or like other like entry level people, no one would have felt comfortable speaking up.
1: Yeah, they would have accepted that it was an accident without any second thought at all.
0: Yeah, or even if they didn't accept that it was an accident, it's like, you you don't take it, like, public, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that also brings into um, play, you know, the concepts of, like, Power at play here, and you know there were a lot of people trying to compare this to like Me Too, um, which is very silly. But <laughs> I will say the difference is that the sympathy that is being given to someone like Tubin is very similar to what we hear in like a lot of these um, Me Too situations. You know, it's sort of always the the reversing of who the victim is. Right. This implication that he is now the victim because he has been publicly shamed, and people are making jokes about him and he you know can't talk about supreme court shit on cnn anymore um and we're losing a vital voice right now when we need him politically you know it's implying Mm. that he is somehow you know being unfairly persecuted because he decided to take out his date
2: right and and that we're we're holding ourselves back collectively by holding him to any standard correct
0: yeah
1: yeah I think other people will write about the election and we'll be fine. And but we don't need Jeffrey Tubin to be doing so. He can take a little suspension. Also, when you <laughs> when you go to look up Jeffrey Tubin, the first thing that's re- like the first suggestion is the actual video. And I just want to know why are you guys googling that? Like, what do you want to see? <laughs> why are you in pursuit of the Zoom dick?
0: <laughs> also, if you don't want people talking about you like this, you know, like just don't be jerking off at work. I'm sorry. there is that you know like I get that there's this impetus to like protect people from like what they see as internet mobs and people like making fun of people um and shaming them but like this is funny
1: yeah
0: (laughs) you know without the without the like um power structure thing and, like, forcing people to actually look at your dick, you know, the, like, the gross part of that, the, like, almost, like, assault part of that, um, (laughs) the fact of, like, your dick being on Zoom, like, we're allowed to make jokes about it, you know, and you are not protected from being clowns on the internet.
2: I would also (laughs) say the situation is so baffling, like, even as you describe it event per event, I still can't picture it. Like, I still can't picture, like, what people saw, like, how the conversation did or didn't progress, and apparently they just tried to ignore it for a second. There's a part of me that wants to, like, purge this vicious cycle of my brain not understanding what had occurred and deal with Mm -hmm. that maybe online or in a text thread or something, (laughs) and we should be allowed to have that, but at the same time, right, like, don't let that train of thought trick you into sympathizing with him.
0: Yeah. Also, I think we've been on Zoom long enough throughout the pandemic to know that, like, the lighting is just, like, awful. And so is the camera on MacBooks, you know? It's so much better on your phone. I don't want to see a dick on Zoom in the first place. Right. So I'm wondering about the person he was Zoom dicking with. Right. You know? Where's Who's rog- that
2: person? Roger Deacons, he better be involved if it's gonna be on your computer. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh what a what a completely nonsense story. <laughs> All right. I did mine last week. So yes. before we get to the keep it segment, Aida, what is your voting plan? We're two weeks out from two the election. Two weeks out.
1: Wow, wow, wow. And then Lewis will go and then we'll have a better president who's a real mortal person, maybe. <laughs> I hope. I hope. <laughs> but um, this week, it is my turn to talk about my voting plan. All right. So I, you guys know I live in California but I'm registered in Nebraska still. Maybe next year when I'll get things figured out and I'm more permanently here and have an L.A.D., I'll be a California voter. But from for now, I'm back home. But I had to order an early voting ballot. I ordered that back in September and I tented to my new apartment, and it has been what was waiting for me in the mail when I got home. So uh, bada bing, bada boom, I voted. And uh, I wanted to tell you guys I'm excited to vote for Miss Measure 428, who, of course, is not a person but is a ballot initiative to put much, much needed regulation on loan interest rates, on payday loans, and to limit predatory lending in Nebraska. And if you aren't in Nebraska, still look into, like, loan sharking policies in your state because there's a high potential that it goes on there to whatever banks deem as like a high-risk borrower. Those people are being barraged with, with high interest rates. In Nebraska, it's about 400%, and uh, but those interest rates can go anywhere like upwards of $500. Like it's like Scrooge levels <laughs> of charging. So yes, I voted for Measure 428 in the state of Nebraska, and that caps percentage loans to 36%, which is a lot more reasonable um, APRs. Next person I'm excited about voting for is... Kate Bolts, who is a member of Nebraska State Senate, and she's representing District 29. She has been in office already since 2013, but her term ends next year, and she's running for higher office. She's running uh, for election to be in the U.S. Senate to represent Nebraska's first congressional district, which has been held by that... Excuse for a man, Jeff Fortenberry, for quite some time now. Um, yeah, she's currently a senator, and she's advocated for health benefits for Nebraskans, which is so vital right now during the pandemic, and making sure everybody has access to health care. And this would be the first time that we could flip that seat from red to blue since 1964. So this is a really a pivotal election for uh, Democrats in Nebraska. But and it's also part of a big push to get more women into higher positions in the Democratic Party. Now, someone I wish I could vote for, because you guys know I am a Lincoln, Waverly area, so that's the district that I'm in. But there is someone by the name of Kara Eastman, who is running for Nebraska's second congressional district. And she has done so much influential work with Omaha Healthy Kids Alliance and making sure that yes, young kids have access to safe housing and healthy housing in Omaha, which has been a problem because as as we all know, Omaha for some reason is just a purely and unabashedly segregated city. And there's a lot of work that needs to be done to make sure that people in marginalized communities are getting access to food and water and housing in Omaha. Um, Eastman and her husband are associate professors at Creighton, which if you're in Nebraska, like I said, this is a Nebraska episode and they live in Omaha, teach at Creighton University and have a young daughter as well. Carrie Eastman is someone that I would be excited about. I wish I could vote for her. She's supports DACA and making Dreamers citizens and taxing large corporations who have been getting the one over on us for a little too long, endorsed by Obama and Biden and Kamala, all the good people. And then, just a quick little note, I wish, wish, really wish I could vote for Maya Wiley, who is running in the mayoral race in New York City right now. She's never held elected office, and she's a professor and activist who is trying to come up after Bill de Blasio. So, hopefully there'll be a more equitable New York City, and hopefully there'll be a more equitable Nebraska. So, that's my voting plan.
0: Well, thank you, Aida. And just so y'all know, there are less than 13 days left to vote, but... You don't have to wait until then to get your vote in. There are plenty of options to vote early and safely. Visit votesaveamerica.com slash plan to make your plan and your voting location and vote as soon as you can. And tell all your family and friends to do the same.
1: Yes, and also you can track your ballot at iwillvote.com slash N-E for Nebraska or or whatever your state regulations are. Like, you can track it like it's a Domino's pizza. You have no excuse to not see where it's at.
2: We've made it easier than ever to find remote and in-person volunteer opportunities with Vote Save America's new volunteer hub at votesaveamerica.com slash volunteer. There you can find everything from your usual phone and text banks to roles delivering yard signs or staffing voter protection hotlines. Go to votesaveamerica.com slash volunteer to find all your options to get involved between now and election day. My God, it's so soon.
0: <laughs> when we're back, keep it. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. As usual, it is Keep It. I feel like we've got a lot of things to keep this week.
1: True. What's on your mind, boys?
0: (sighs) Well, why don't don't we get this out of the way? I feel like we all have a collective Keep It to Miss Tiffany Trump. (laughs) (laughs) Who, Who, like Melania... Unfortunately, had
2: cultivated a bit of intrigue over the years. Like, what do we know about this person? It can't be. Is she here to save us the bullshit we thought? And (laughs) now this video has surfaced. Didn't gain a lot of traction as far as the beginning of the week Mm -hmm. went. And it happened on Friday. She spoke at a quote unquote Trump pride event in Tampa, where she came out to I Got a Feeling by the Black Eyed Peas, which
1: popular song in this year because it's a twenty it's a 2020 song. <laughs> I mean you may
2: you may as well put on Casey in the Sunshine Band. What?
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whose pride is that?
2: <laughs> and she came out and did like an even dirtier version of the Ron Reagan Jr. thing where she's like, oh well, yeah. I know my dad and you know he understands the LGB IAQ community. She sort of stumbles through it in a voice that can only be described as Miley Cyrus asks. <laughs> there are questions of did she leave the tea out on purpose? Based on the presentation she was giving, I'm not sure she was purposely doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> but-
1: she was trying to say CIA, which is the craziest part about this whole thing. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe like the children's book that were read to her were alphabet books that had 28 pages. Right. I don't understand like what synapses were not firing when she was giving this (laughs) speech.
0: I think it's just a beautiful coda to um, what always (laughs) happens with these silly, superfluous white women that gay men will sometimes try to stand on the Internet. You know, like the whole thing about Tiffany Trump, as you were saying, Lewis, was the fact that like She was never really brought up in the same way that Ivanka or Don Jr. or even um, that claymation um, figure (laughs) Eric is brought up. And, you know, so it was always like, oh, she's the forgotten daughter. There were always jokes that, like, Trump doesn't even know her name. And it used to be like, she's the one who's going to bring down the Trump empire, right? And, like, she had released a song – Years ago, uh, Like a Bird. Like a Bird, yes. Uh, Yes, and so people would always um, reference that song or be like, when is Like a Bird gonna um, chart on Billboard? Like, Mm -hmm. jokes like that, right? And then here she comes, and she's just as miserable and disgusting as the rest of her family. Shocker. Which we saw weeks ago because she trotted herself out at the RNC to defend her father.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like now there was a race. There was a race in my mind of who was the dumbest child. And it was Eric Trump for the longest time, because even last month we know that Eric accidentally said that he was part of the LGBTQ community when he said, I am a part of that community. So they're both, (laughs) they're both just like, I don't know. They, they, they want what we got. They want what we got.
2: (laughs) And he's also married to Lara Trump who goes on CNN and tries to, uh, Stutter her way out of making fun of Joe Biden's stutter, which was uh, (laughs) fascinating to watch if you haven't seen that interview. Mm -hmm. But yeah, also, truly, even though there may be some mystery gay out there who gets like some irony laugh out of calling Tiffany Trump like our potential savior. There is no gay person, even in Tampa where I've never been, and I'm sure they're lovely there, who could possibly mistake Tiffany Trump for being an actual ambassador to the LGBT community. It is a pathetic stunt on her part.
0: Who was there? The the room looked like it had 12 people in it, and I'm not even sure any of them were gay. I mean, like, this is still the
2: man who had the people paid for to watch him descend on an escalator and into our goddamn lives so you never know that
0: is that is like whenever you see blacks for Trump's photos there they're white people wearing blacks for Trump's shirt right <laughs> I don't think any of these people were actually gay they they paid some college students probably from um, talking point USA <laughs> to um, hustle over to some little convention center and listen to her just stumble her way through this speech. You the know? location and-
1: they put a shower curtain up in a seven eleven and we're like, this is this is it This is it. <laughs> The lesbians by the Twinkies.
0: Bonnie McKee literally performing in a 7-Eleven parking lot. <laughs> That's, oh, oh,
2: call back to American Girl. Love oh that goodness. song.
0: Do not let Tiffany
2: near that song. She will claim it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably originally written for Tiffany after Like a Bird, but then when Like a Bird flopped, um, Bonnie was like, I'll sing it myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> also, you brought him up. Keep it to that bitch, Raul Reagan, son.
2: Yeah, don't fucking tell me anything about your dad. Don't tell me anything about him. No.
0: In case any of you miss like he comes out in an interview talking about oh, my father would be disgusted with the way that like Trump is just basically desecrating the Oval Office. It's like, no, he wouldn't. Your father is the reason we're in this fucking
3: mess.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he lit the fucking match. He started the fire. <laughs> Billy Joel knows it. We know it.
2: Nobody could suck worse than Reagan. Except, of course, our current president and nobody else. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, formal keep-its this week. I just want to say that I have a keep-it I wanted to abort. As in, I it's not going to be my keep-it. Um, I was initially going to say keep-it to the supermarket sweep on ABC with Leslie Jones. When it started off, I'm like, oh, it's not as good as the original. And the lighting is too, get ready, horny. The supermarket is like lit like you're in, as my friend Mandel noted, a Virgin Airlines flight. And that's not how <laughs> supermarkets look. I was mad. I miss Virgin. I know, I know. Um, and then I watched two episodes. It is actually really good. And I think Leslie Jones, it's the best work I've ever seen her do. Like, she's suited for it and her excitement makes sense. I will say that my actual keep it this week is to a movie that apparently Ira likes, The Trial of the Chicago 7, which is getting oh, mostly no. good reviews. <laughs> Here's my problem. Well, I'll, I'll name the good things first. Sasha Baron Cohen, excellent. Yes. Love him as an actor. And and. Borat and Bruno are like so not really my brand comedy ways that I forget that I'm a fan of his. He's like a brilliant person, Mm -hmm. went to Cambridge, you know.
0: He was the best part of Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Mm -hmm. Todd,
2: right? Um, Oh yeah, we put him in Hugo, sorry about that. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, And also the great Mark Rylance is fabulous too. Unfortunately, Aaron Sorkin is someone kind of like Woody Allen to me where regardless if the material is good or bad, you are so used to how one character will get a monologue and he'll be up against some total rube or some total scold and the, and the good and bad guys to me are uninteresting in that dichotomy. And that is what happens in this movie. It feels like a radio play, which a lot of people will like, I think, but It just feels like less than a movie to me. And my God, the lighting. Turn on a light in that courtroom. My Jesus. I couldn't see shit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You needed the Virgin Airlines lighter. That's
2: what I'm saying. Right, yeah. make Horn me me up. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So I watched The Trial of the Chicago 7 last night, uh, mostly um, in spite of Eddie Redmayne being in it, uh, and mostly for... Um, love of My Life, Jeremy Strong being in it, who. Not I into think that is performance hilarious. either. Not
2: into that. Really?
0: No, it's, I thought he was great. I thought it was very funny or die. <laughs> I loved him and Sasha just basically as this like um, modern version of Pineapple Express um, mm-hmm. operating through this Sorkin movie. But what I like about the Trial of Chicago Seven is that it plays to Aaron Sorkin's strengths. He he loves a speech. Uh, he loves you know someone getting um indignant for the truth and justice. You know, and he really loves the government. Mm-hmm. Um, for some reason, you know, he thinks that like at its best level, the government is the most beautiful thing to ever exist. Um, this movie works in that respect for me because it's basically about people giving speeches, you know? Like, he's originally a playwright. He did that with a few good men. Um, and it takes him back to his roots of, like, here is a setting where it makes sense for people just to be talking all the fucking time, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and I think that those tics work for me because at his core, um, Aaron Sorkin is really just writing straight males who need recognition and to be loved by other straight men. Right. <laughs> Which does... Put an anger in me. I just want to say that. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. I feel like I feel like I like that because you and I talk all about one of the only interesting parts of the Oscars really is paying attention to the best actress and supporting actress wins. Because the roles that men are usually nominated for are like overwrought um, and like the annoying kind of shit like um, – uh, Gary Oldman um, yeah. in The Darkest Hour or, you know, like a performance I actually like, but, you know, like a Casey Affleck in Manchester by the Sea. It's usually those kind of performances, right? Like women um, at least get like fun, dramatic performances that like are quotable, you know, like like a Blue Jasmine, you know, or like a Viola in Fences, you know, like they feel like they are actual like fun characters that you want to watch. And if there's one thing I can say about Aaron Sorkin is that he – is obsessed with writing straight male characters, but he usually at least has the wherewithal to make them interesting. Any of the male characters in any Aaron Sorkin film, like feel like a revelation compared to most of the male characters that I feel like Hollywood wants us to like.
2: I will say that I think um, Andrew Garfield remains the snub of the 2010s in uh, the Social Network. That was really a mm-hmm. fabulous performance, and then he got nominated for Hacksaw Ridge of all things, which I think is actually crueler than not nominating him. So,
0: <laughs> I think that for his weird ticks and sometimes writing women horribly, Aaron Sorkin has, you know, a bit of a um, feminine or melodramatic touch when it comes to writing, you know, softer male relationships. And I just wish we saw that on screen more. It's telling that Andrew Garfield was snubbed for the social network and then is rewarded for um, being in a fucking Mel Gibson film right, right? It, it shows what the industry respects on
2: that I can agree with you about Aaron Sorkin but I won't go any further in this Molly's Game you've set up
0: for me <laughs> <laughs> Molly's Game is a lot like The Trial of the Chicago 7 Two. I think it would be better if Aaron Sorkin didn't direct it I think he's not a director
2: R- right the direction was very traditional I thought but
0: yeah unfortunately the script is better than the direction just like Molly's Game <laughs> Aida, what do you think keep it to?
1: Wow. So there are six men who have just been taken into custody because they were caught to have been devising a plot to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer.
0: (laughs) The the Michigan Six. Yeah,
1: the Michigan Six. The trial of the Michigan Six. And, you know, this is already a ludicrous story, but all the news articles are like you know reporting on this as a kidnapping of Gretchen Whitmer and I'm like she's a fucking governor <laughs> like at what point can we just call it a napping <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, this is, we have to draw the lines guys um and that's not what makes me most mad so these guys okay these you know just imagine like six men in tactical gear with no girlfriends and a lot of guns and a lot of free time to have group chats where they talk about kidnapping governors. So the people that are being they they're being investigated because they stalked her, they scribbled out these little maps, they posted a lot of videos of them in tactical wear with guns like ready to execute this plan. They're domestic terrorists is what I'm trying to say. And okay, yeah, they are kidnapping. Cool, I get it. More more, more importantly, I'm am I'm mad about the execution. You drew maps. They drew maps. They they made a plan to catch her, deliver her to proper authorities and then have her tried for treason. This is what kind of 1950s ass crimes are you guys committing? Like a <laughs> kidnapping <laughs> plot? Treason? You organized a plot. Like, are you a boxcar child? Like, what is this? <laughs> if, you don't, if you don't just vandalize that woman's front door and go about your day, like, go find another way to terrorize her. And I don't want to be this reductive and this dangerous, but, like, are Proud Boys just guys without hobbies? Because, like, baby, I, I will show you the way. We can. I can get you a Nintendo Switch. I can get you a puzzle. I can get you something to do. You can play Animal Crossing. And no
0: imagination. No imagination. At we all. just talked to Gabrielle Union about Days of Our Lives. You know what? I would like to be Stefano Demera kidnapping <laughs> Hope Brady or Marlena Evans. Like When I eventually kidnap Charlie Puth, it will be to hold him in a cage underneath a Parisian sewer until he falls in love with me. Right. And
1: that will have a narrative. That will have a beginning, middle, end, a story, a conflict. Thank this you. This had nothing. This had absolutely <laughs> Nothing like, and I just play a game. Play Animal Crossing. Don't play Human Endangerment. That's just yeah. something to do. And of course, Trump adds fuel to this bullshit fire by harassing her about what happened. Because Trump doesn't actually have thoughts about women. Trump sees a woman, and he his eyes roll back, and he goes into a fugue state. And every thought input comes out as the vocal output. Lock her up. Like that's it. He doesn't have real ideas about them. And so, Gretchen, Gretchen went on. Um, it was like. Five or cnn of course she just went on a news a news channel and she had a little glass like paperweight in the background that said 8645 now any logical person would have read that and been like oh she's talking about how we would much rather have joe biden the logical humane option as our president instead of 45 trump because we refuse to call him by his name but trump's campaign goes on to say wow Governor Gretchen Whitmer is encouraging assassination attempts on Trump because 86 is clearly a word that implies getting rid of and therefore death. So just, you know, I, I know we didn't need to hear it that everyone on his campaign, everyone on his team is a fucking idiot, but it, it's fun and it's amusing. But keep it to Trump. Keep it to these, these six men who think that they're in the Italian job. <laughs> I just, go again, find a hobby.
2: Also, by the way, well, first of all, the words Proud Boys, I mean, they're just proud of being themselves. So that literally means there's <laughs> no activity involved. So we'll just say that, one. <laughs> and then two, 86 is literally diner slang. Exactly. So stop pretending it means like, oh, <laughs> buy a harpoon and use it on fucking Donald Trump or whatever.
0: If she really wanted to get rid of Trump, it would have said 18745, okay? <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> also, another thing is I always want to say Gretchen Wieners when I try and say Gretchen Wieners. I know. <laughs> yeah. So I say Gretchen Wieners and I'm like, I guess Nobody could make Fetch happen. (laughs) Just like worked a little (laughs) too well with the kidnapping plot.
0: (laughs) Uh, Gretchen Wieners, we should just lock her up.
1: Lock her up. (laughs) Speaking of mean girls. So that's my keep it. Uh, Okay. Ira, Ira, what is your keep it this week?
0: My keep it this week is to... Several black men, mm-hmm. <laughs> all of them rich, a, a gaggle um, of, them. <laughs> a, ga- a-, a gaggle of negroes, <laughs> a gaggle of niggas. Um not just Kanye, who who we've been exhausted talking about, uh, but Fifty Cent, uh. Ice Cube, Diddy, all of them who are now um, coming out either pro Trump or in direct opposition to the Democratic Party because they are rich and basically don't want to pay taxes. Again, Um, just bored
1: men. Bored men. We had the Proud Boys, now we have the Bad Boys. Like, just bored fucking men.
0: Let me get into the first one. 50 Cent was posting... um, on Instagram, after discovering Joe Biden's tax plan of you know taxing the wealthy, and it's like, oh, I don't even care that Trump don't like black people. I want to vote for him. Fuck Joe Biden, basically because he wants to keep his money, you know. He sold quarter water to Coca-Cola. <laughs> 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 he would like women who have a baby by him to still be a millionaire, you know. <laughs> and he can only give them, you know, a, a Popeye's gift certificate if Biden taxes him.
1: Curtis, yeah. <laughs>
0: Fuck you, Curtis. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant.
2: This no, I've never heard this point of view before. I'm so glad he articulated it for us. Yeah. Oh, you'd like more Money and you're incredibly rich.
1: It's like it's it's so it's insinuated that if you are a celebrity, you are a covert Republican now. If you're going to be like that, that's just a level of stupidity that I can't deal with at all.
0: Right, and then there's Ice Cube who is talking to Trump about black issues, apparently, saying that um, he had a talk with the Biden campaign and that he had a talk with the Trump campaign, and the Trump campaign, you know, decided that they would support his issues or whatever. I don't know. I really haven't paid too much attention to the actual Ice Cube of it all because (laughs) I still remember when he was um, on his anti-Semitic rant Mm-hmm. Like a right. few months ago, Wait, is this the so Nick, is it
1: like a Nick Cannon esque type of feel? Is it like the Black Liberation, Black yeah. First, forward thinking? Okay, okay, Marcus yes, Garvey. yes, okay, yes, Marcus yeah. The, Jew,
0: the Jews are holding the blacks back. Yeah, is the yeah, thinking? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and then Diddy is um, teaming up with this group called like Our Black Party, which is about um, whose Black Party? You know, <laughs> Our Black Party. <laughs> our Zaida. And it is yeah
1: the one me and you are so they were
0: very like mysteriously like not talking about whether or not they were a pack or like a third political party like set up to you know like take votes away from biden because they were announced like two weeks before the election ends you know uh we're in the midst of an election can't say it's starting in two weeks it ends in two weeks but they went on instagram live recently diddy was on instagram live with um two people from our black party only diddy's screen was completely blank and uh the only two people speaking were uh this woman, Candace Hollingsworth, she's the mayor of Hyattsville. And um, oh, no. someone named Dr. Wes Bellamy. And the nonsense that I was hearing, you can be a Democrat, you can be a Republican as long as you put black first. I don't know what the fuck that means. <laughs> because you certainly cannot be a Republican and be putting black first. <laughs> Period. And to answer the questions about whether they're a PAC or a political party, we're operating as a pack, but can move wherever the culture needs us to. And they really want to just raise money to support black interests and black candidates and whatever. This sounds like embezzlement.
1: <laughs> Embezzle. 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 <laughs> this, also, this also just reaffirms the fact that the only Bellamy worth listening to is Bill. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's literally it.
2: Cousin Skeeter, Saint Skeeter. Yeah. <laughs> and Bellamy Young
0: from Scandal. Oh, okay, <laughs> yes. Fine. She okay, was great know. on Celebrity Jeopardy, actually. <laughs> Look it up. <laughs> <laughs> but wow. I mean, we talked about this with Gabrielle, right? You know, just this idea that... Niggas get some money and now all of a sudden it's like, fuck everybody else, Yeah, you know, and like you should have seen it coming because many of these people disrespected black women. You know, Ice Cube, historically abusive to black women, mm-hmm. um, you know, 50 Cent, disgusting to black women and uh, homophobic to boot. Yeah, Diddy didn't give Cassie that ring. so fuck him Mm -hmm.
1: made all those girls go get that cheesecake (laughs) come on trade cheesecake no made
0: made people walk to Brooklyn to pick up Cheesecake for him on Making the Band. Right. I know we all remember that. At Juniors. (laughs) Okay. Truly disrespected Danity Kane. He also
2: disrespected uh, Mm -mm. Cashmere by Led Zeppelin. That fucking Godzilla song is
0: a no. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So we should have seen it coming, right? You know, it should have looked familiar to us. Yeah. It is truly just a different side of disgusting seeing like black men who started like on the fucking bottom of society rapping about police brutality yeah. uh rapping about um you know like the political disadvantages that come to being black in America and now they got some coins and they're like fuck everybody else you know <laughs> it, it is it is it's disappointing it it it's, it's not surprising but it's still disappointing um that you can't trust niggas with money
1: you can't let me remind you, Andre fired you. And I wish that never lit a fire under your ass, did he? I wish you had never got a hustle mentality, because look at where we're at now.
0: It's a shame, you it know? Is. Yeah, it sucks. Don't want to hear it. <laughs> Straight black men, the weak link. <laughs> Stay the weak link. <laughs> that was a hell of a Keeper segment this Oof. week, baby. Well, I we made up for listing 150 things that we liked last week, right?
2: Yeah, and, and we got all the compliments we wanted about how we finally had positive energy. Well, that's over
3: now.
1: Yeah, I know. Yes. I, I had way too many DMs. Like, I don't want to invite y'all's kindness into my life right no. now. It's <laughs> yeah. taxing. I'm still purely yeah. distaste. I am purely contempt. That's
0: speaking <laughs> of taxes.
2: That's what's taxing to me.
0: Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh. I love a good word joke. <laughs> 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 I want to thank Gabrielle Union for joining us this week. It was an honor to finally have her on the show. In fact, everybody should thank her. She fucking ruled. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of the best,
1: one of the best people to interview, easily. Just such a light, light lighthearted person.
0: Love it when a guest sings. And we will see you next week. Keep it is a production of crooked media. Caroline Reston is our producer. Our editor is Bill Lance, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Our digital team is Nadine Mokonian and Milo Kent. Thank you to Brian Sebel for production support every week.
3: The Living Room is where you make life's most beautiful memories.